Paul stood up, said, Men of Israel, and you that fear God, give audience. God chose Israel to be his witnesses. He took them out of Egypt, and he suffered with them for 40 years in the wilderness. And God destroyed those seven great nations in the land. And then, in the space of 450 years, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they wanted a king, and they gave him Saul the son of Kit and he reigned for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Men and brethren, children the stock of Abram, and whoever of you that feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, are yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day. They have fulfilled them in condemning him. Though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulchre. But God raised him from the dead. God hath fulfilled the same unto their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. As concerning that he raised him up from the dead, no more to see corruption. Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. And they laid him unto his fathers, and he saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Our teacher, Dr. John G. Mitchell, was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. Our name, the Unchanging Word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As we continue in following what Luke records about Paul and Barnabas' first missionary outreach, we now find them having traveled to the city of Antioch up in Pisidia. In their synagogue, Paul relates the history of Israel up until the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, the importance of the fact that Jesus is now raised brings to light the fact that now forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Dr. Mitchell declares the resurrection of Christ and the justification that comes through faith in Him alone. Upon faith and trust in this Lord Jesus Christ, each one is justified from all things by God himself. Now, justification is God himself declaring to all, everywhere, that the believing sinner who trusts in Jesus Christ is now righteous with him and he with this believer. 
Let's join Dr. Mitchell in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast. Today, friends, again we have the privilege and joy of coming to you with brief studies in different books of the Bible. We are studying right now the book of Acts, this historical book that bridges the gap between the Gospels and the Epistles. And as I've been saying right along, you have to see the moving of the Spirit of God through the book of Acts, because it starts in Jerusalem and ends in Rome. And here you have the history of the Lord working through His people on earth, carrying on the program which He started. You remember the book of Acts starts, all that Jesus began to do and to teach until He was taken away. And this ministry is carried on by the believer, not by angels, not by the great, but by redeemed men and women. To me, it's an astounding thing that God can take folk like you and me, not only redeem us and make us as children, but to send us forth, as our Lord could say in John 17, 18. You remember, uh, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. He goes on by saying, and I I send them back into the world, and because I know what the world is, I sanctify myself. Verses 17, 18, and 19 of that amazing 17th chapter of the Gospel through John. Or, or you take it in Luke 24 and Acts 1, we are witnesses of these things. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. We've got some good news for men and women. Good news from God to men. But how can these, this good news from God reach men? Except that God uses men and women like you and me. God used the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and Peter and the others in the first century, and he has to use us in the 20th century. That takes you in if you love the Savior. If you love the Savior. You say, well, I'm shut in. Mr. Mitchell, what can I do? I'm well up in years, I don't know very much, and I'm shut in, and I'm weak in body. Well, I'll tell you what you can do. God's left you here for a purpose. You know what that purpose is? You can cooperate with us by prayer. Oh, how we need people to pray that every time we, we broadcast over this radio, we'll do so in the power and blessing and liberty of the Spirit of God. Pray that we may speak so simply, so clearly, that even children will understand it. And how glad I am for, for little notes I get from children, how they've been blessed through this ministry. Whole families have been transformed. My, how I thank the Lord for the honor, for the privilege of talking to you from the Word of God. Now we're in chapter 13. Here we have Paul's first great message. And as you read it, you can't help but think of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, as you remember, gave the longest message in the New Testament. And Saul of Tarsus was standing by those who threw the stones which killed Stephen. And Stephen's message must have made a tremendous impression upon him, because when, he's, when, he's, when he comes down, when he comes down to, uh, to Antioch in Pisidia, and gives his message, you just see the similarity between the two. Now, I'm going to be kind of brief on this from verse, from verse 14 right down to the end of the chapter, verse 52 
There are a number of things I want to bring to your attention. But first of all, will you notice how Paul starts? In verse 16, And Paul stood up, and he's talking now to the Jews in the synagogue at Antioch in Pisidia. He was invited. He went to the synagogue with Barnabas, and he was invited to to, uh, say a word. And the result was, he said, Men of Israel, and you that fear God, give audience. Now, there may have been someone, some there who were Gentiles. I don't know. Then from verse 17 right down to verse 22, he gives a very brief history of, of Israel, of how God chose Israel to be his witnesses. He took them out of Egypt, and he suffered with them for 40 years in the wilderness. And God destroyed those seven great nations in the land of Canaan, these who were idolaters, who were corrupt, who were diseased, and so on. And God gave them the land. And then, for the space of 450 years, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they wanted a king. And you remember, they gave him Saul, the son of Kit. And he, and he reigned for 40 years. Now, verse 22. Starting at verse 22 and running down through uh, verse 30, uh, 36, 37, you'll notice that David is the one he's talking about. And out of David is going to come Jesus, the Savior. The great one bright light in here is, is David, their king. Of course, they thought a great deal of David, their king. But what Paul is going to do now is to reveal to them, out of David came Jesus, who was a Savior. Listen to us. When he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed, or of this man's children, hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. And then he just mentions the fact of John bearing testimony concerning him. And then in verse 6, 26, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abram, and whoever of you that feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, are yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day. They have fulfilled them in condemning him. Though they found no cause of death in him, yet desire they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. But out of verse 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. Then he goes on, as it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Paul is going right back to the Old Testament and proving that this is the one of whom the prophets speak, one who's going to come to suffer and to die, to be a redeemer, to be a prince and a savior. And then in verse 34, as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, no more to see corruption. Uh, Verse 36, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, that is, he died, and they laid him unto his fathers, and he saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. What I'd like to, to emphasize here is ever the message of Peter, of the early church, of Paul. 
You notice that three times in his message here, he speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he connects this with David, because David saw corruption. Then of whom did this of whom did the psalmist speak in Psalm 16? Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And, and Peter used this in Acts chapter 2. Paul used it in Acts chapter 13. May I say, friend, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the guarantee that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. It's the guarantee that his work which he accomplished on the cross perfectly satisfied God and can perfectly satisfy you. This is a personal testimony from God to you that his son has been raised from the dead. If you want further proof, may I say, the very fact that the Spirit of God indwells his people is God's proof to you by the Spirit of God that his son is on the throne. For you remember our Lord said over and over again in chapter chapter 7, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16 of the book of John, that he would go back to the Father. The Spirit of God would not be given to his people until he was glorified. How do I know that Jesus Christ is in on the throne of God? How do I know that he's exalted to be a prince and a savior? How do I know he has all authority in heaven and earth? Because the Spirit of God bears testimony to us that this Jesus is a prince and a savior and has been given all authority. Time would fail me to go to many, many scriptures on this. Suffice to say that Paul uses this. God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. You remember? God hath fulfilled the promises which he made to the fathers. And we know that David, in verse 36, when he had served his own generation by the will of God, he died and was laid unto his fathers, and he saw corruption. But this one, Jesus, whom God raised again, saw no corruption. What I'm emphasizing to you is the wonderful, wonderful fact that God guarantees resurrection. God guarantees his salvation to those who put their trust in him. Now, Paul didn't spend very much time dealing with the life of Christ among men. Our, uh, Paul spoke especially of our Lord, not only in his death, burial, but in his resurrection and exaltation. That's why when Paul is writing concerning the defense of his apostleship, he declares, I wasn't chosen by man. I was chosen by a risen Christ. Again, allow me to repeat what I've said before. In this book of Acts, the great theme of the early church was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Of course, there could be no resurrection without death. It's rather strange that less than 10 times they speak of his suffering and death, and nearly 30 times on his resurrection. Why? Because God wants you to know, without any shadow of a doubt, he wants you to be certain of the fact that when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're forgiven every sin, Death has no more dominion over you and that you're a child of the living God. This is guaranteed by his resurrection. Now, before I leave that, allow me to digress just for a moment. In verse 36, David, after he had served his generation by the will of God, died. 
I wonder, my friend, if you're going to serve your generation by the will of God. Am I going to serve my generation by the will of God? Too many Christians, and I say this very, very sadly, too many professing Christians who claim to love the Savior, nine-tenths of their time are spent on themselves and very little time doing the will of God. As long as you and I are on earth, we're here to do the will of God. doesn't matter whether you live five years or ten years or a hundred years. makes no difference. As long as the Lord leaves you and me on earth, we've got a job to do. And may, we, may it be said of you and me, as it was said of David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he died, fell asleep. Or as Paul could say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 6, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Huh? Did you say that? May God grant to you and may we'll be so yielded to the Lord, so in love with the Savior we can't help but do nothing but the will of God. Does that mean I'm, I'm going to be lazy? No. Does it mean I'm going to sit down and twaddle my thumbs? No. Does it mean I've got to go out to the world and be a missionary in the sense of going to a mission field? No. No. He wants you right where you are to serve God in the will of God. And then when you leave this scene, you go right into his presence. And don't you want to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. I tell you, it's wonderful. Just wonderful when you think of it. Now, let me get back. Get back, excuse the digression for a moment. You know, I couldn't leave that little statement alone, could I? Now you come down to verse 37 and 38. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Again, he comes back to this resurrection. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Let me just stop here. Here's some wonderful, wonderful good news. Justification for sinners, guaranteed by the resurrection. Notice what he says. That's verse 38. Be it known unto you that through this man Jesus is preached, first of all, the forgiveness of sins. Allow me again to remind you of a few verses. Do you remember in Matthew 1, 21, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. Do you remember our Lord in, in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter, chapter 5, I think it is, when he said, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And do you remember the leader said, Who is this fellow who can forgive sins? Only God can do that. And Jesus said, That you may know that the Son of Man hath authority on earth to forgive sin. He said to the sick of the palsy, Take up your bed and walk. Fulfilling the 103rd Psalm, do you remember? Who forgiveth all thy iniquities, and healeth all thy diseases. And then will you put down again those three verses I use so much? Ephesians 1, 7, we have forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 4.32, we are forgiven for Christ's sake. Do you remember that verse says, Be tender-hearted, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath 
forgiven you. Likewise, in 1 John 2.12, My little children, you know that your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, it's mentioned also in Colossians chapter 3 and other portions with this wonderful thing, Be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then he goes on to say in verse in verse 39, And by Jesus, all that believe on him are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. What do you mean by that? Now, I know if you were to ask some Christians, what do you mean by being justified? They tell you, well, to be justified means to have all your sins forgiven. You never, you stand before God as if you had never sinned. Well, now, in a certain sense, that's true, but that's a negative thing. Now, it's true that he not only forgives us, but we stand before God. Can I put it this way? And no one can produce any evidence that we ever were sinners. I'm talking about good news from God to men. This is good news to sinners. At the moment a sinner, I don't care who he is, what he is, what he's done, he simply puts his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. He'll never again see his sins. He'll be able. He'll be given a divine pardon. Our Lord bore all our sins and put all our sins away. And as Colossians 2 says, he destroyed the very evidence. Now, if you want to go to this, something that Moses' law, the law, could never justify. Please remember this. The law of Moses never justified anybody. The law of Moses never forgave anybody. The law demanded judgment. I suggest sometime this, this matter of justification. You find the great ground for it in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, and runs right through chapter 4, 25. Justification means that God pronounces righteous every sinner who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's putting it in a very theological way, but there it is. God has been perfectly satisfied with the work of his Son, as Romans 3 says, that he might be just and the justifier of him who believeth in Jesus. Our Lord, having perfectly satisfied the righteous character of God, God now puts to the account of every believer his own righteousness. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He hath made Jesus to be sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, For of him are you in Christ Jesus, who in the wisdom of God has been made unto us righteousness. Or you take Romans chapter 10, verse 4, which says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, to every one that believeth. Or Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, where Paul says, I'm going to be found in him, in Jesus, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the, uh, the, the faith of Christ, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is that when a person accepts the Savior, immediately they're forgiven every sin, and God does for that man something which the law of God, that is, the law of Moses, could not do with sinners. I say again, the law demanded the death of every sinner. That's all the law can do. Hence, God sent his Son. He fulfilled the law. 
The law says, Mitchell, whatever your name is, you must die. And Christ took my sin and your sin, and he died. And the law has had nothing more to say since to the Christian. We're new men, new women in Christ. What a wonderful thing. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And how glad I am to say to you today, I say how glad I am to say to you today that the Lord himself has made it possible for you and for me to be justified. Now, when you follow through from verse 40 and you go right on down to the verse 43, you, you have where, where he, the effect of the message. And these, these fellows get mad. They get mad at see. But what I'm trying to get to your heart in closing today is the fact God's promise to Israel was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Paul insists upon the fact that it's guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, no matter what your color, your tribe, or your language, or what your past may have been, I want to tell you I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you can just accept the Savior, put your trust in Him, and you will pass from death to life. Now the Lord bless you today for His precious namesake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.